The year was 1994. Dial-up modems ruled. Netscape Navigator had not even been released yet. The only browser anyone had heard of was called Mosaic. Trumpet Windsock was how people got online with Windows 3.1. 1994, the year Jared White first logged on to the internet. Welcome to episode six of the Jared White Show. I am, of course, your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. If you haven't already, I'd love it if you would sign up for my weekly newsletter at jaredwhite.com, and you can also subscribe there to this show in your podcast player of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Castro, and others. I have a very special episode of the show for you today. This is where we introduce the first ever Share and Tell, your first experience of the web. I will be sharing my first experience of getting online, joining the internet revolution. But first, I would like to introduce you to Alexa, friend of the show, Alexa, who writes over at VintageVinoGirl.com and beyond. Is here today to share with us her early memories of getting on the information superhighway and using the web. Take it away, Alexa. Hi, my name is Alexa, and my first memory of the internet is going online to try and find books that I couldn't locate in my local library. I also was really excited about having my own presence on the web. So, I think I was an early teenager in the '90s. And I wanted to do a Star Wars fan site. It was a truly hideous website. I also dived right into that whole iframe thing that I look back on with great embarrassment. But I mostly remember that it was an incredibly exciting time to connect with other people across the world. That was unheard of for someone my age to be able to get online and just have meaningful conversations. With someone in Australia, there was a sense of innocence back then that has been lost, that I miss sometimes. The feeling that the internet was there for connection, for community, not to hate on one another. Thank you, Alexa, for your contribution. I really appreciate what you had to share with us, and I think it takes us all back to those times when we first got on the internet. Uh, before all of the problems of spam and trolls and haters, and back then the internet was this green field of amazing opportunity and possibility. And today we take for granted the fact that we can converse with people from all over the world, different backgrounds, different walks of life, different perspectives.、Um, but back then it was amazing. You know, you you could be sitting in your bedroom in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Get online, and instantly you could chat with interesting, creative individuals and organizations, and people doing all kinds of stuff all over the world. 
I very much remember those days with fondness. Uh, you know, nostalgia, rose-colored glasses can sometimes be a dangerous thing, but I think it's worthwhile to look back on and, and remember, uh, you know, where we came from so we can learn from history and be able to move forward. So thank you once again, Alexa. And remember, if you would like to be featured on the Share and Tell segment, we'll be continuing this into future episodes. So please email me your story. You don't have to record it as nicely as Alexa did. You can just type a few sentences and email it to me, jared at jaredwhite.com, and I'll feature it on the show. But if you'd like to record something, that's totally fine. So my first experience on the web, roll back the clock turn the pages of history backwards, and we get all the way to the year 1994. An 11-year-old me, an Intel Pentium PC, and a U.S. robotics sportster modem. My first email address was jwhite at cello.gina.calstate.edu. E-D-U. Um, these were the days when a lot of people first got online because they were able to connect via their school, their college infrastructure. Um, in this case, I had a friend who had a friend, so they basically just set me up with an email address. Um, and I honestly don't even remember how I connected, like what my ISP was at first, but I do remember that I used Trumpet Windsock. This was before Windows 95 had even been released, so I was using Windows 3.1 on my PC, and Trumpet Windsock was the way to get online unless you had a specific provider that had their own connection software, such as uh, perhaps AOL. Uh, I don't even remember when they started to get big. It might have been as early as 1994, uh, possibly Earthlink. But at any rate, a lot of people use this strange little app called Trumpet Windsock. And so uh, you just launch the program. It would connect to whatever ISP you had. And uh, the modem would make its funny little sounds, and poof, you are online. Now, if you were using the same phone line as just the regular phone line you had in your house, you would have some problems if someone else tried to pick up the phone and call somebody. They would get a screeching earful of crazy sounds, and your connection would probably die, and you'd be like, No! That was unpleasant. So we quickly got a second phone line. I'm sure uh, the phone company was was astonished to all of a sudden be getting requests from all over the place from everyone saying, give me a second dedicated phone line. Um, but that's what we did. It was amazing. Yeah, 1994. Uh, that was before the Netscape Navigator browser had even come out. So I remember my first experience was actually using Mosaic. Uh, that was pretty short-lived, though. Netscape Navigator came out in 1995. Um, and that was, you know, 1995, 1996, that was the Netscape era. Interestingly enough, 1996 was actually the peak of Netscape usage. So, you know, looking back, it, it feels like Netscape was around for quite a while and was a big deal, but it really wasn't for very long. It was only a peak uh, usage browser for a couple years, and then Microsoft quickly just started to take over. Uh, they released Internet Explorer... Uh, version 1, version 2, neither of which was very good, but uh, version 3, i.e. 3, was the beginning of the end for Netscape. Uh, 1996, you know, Windows 95 had come out, uh, the light bulb had gone on in Bill Gates' brain, so Microsoft was fully embracing the web, 
Embrace and extinguish. Uh, anyway, embracing the web and Internet Explorer was quickly outpacing Netscape in features and capability. And uh, 1996 was the year I decided to learn HTML. I decided I wanted to learn how to build websites. I was in a music band at the time with my family. Uh, we performed Scottish and Irish music, uh, starting to take off. And we felt like, well, you know, we should be able to have a website. We can direct people there and they can, you know, see what our events calendar is, get information about our group, download our bio, uh, even download our picture maybe. Uh, it'll be cool. We need a website. Uh, so being a, a resident computer nerd in our household, thanks, Dad. <laughs> he worked full-time as a programmer, so, uh, you know, guess where I got that. And my mother was a musician, so uh, I'm a programmer and a musician. Anyway... I did what a lot of people did at the time, which was go to a cool website and pick view source from the menu bar in the web browser and try to figure out how they built it. You know, looking at the HTML tags, trying to see how the markup uh, influenced the presentation. Uh, And that's really how I learned. I mean, I got some books on HTML, of course. Um, I, you know, read online articles as best I could find them. Uh, And I just sort of became a self-taught web developer, a self-taught web designer. Uh, Design on the web was pretty horrible back then. Um, So, you know, I look back at what I did, uh, and actually it astonishes me that I can go to the Internet Archive at web.archive.org and find websites that I built and worked on all the way back to 1996. I mean, literally, like, the first website I ever created besides the... uh, band website uh, was a site I started called the Internet Review. I think I actually named it Jared White's Internet Review originally, and then I just named it the Internet Review, and then I renamed it iReview. And yes, this was uh, before the whole i thing really got started at Apple. This was long before Apple created their own website called iReview. I, I must have uh, had a hunch what was to come, but at any rate, I ran a website for a little while called iReview, uh, and it was essentially a blog. Uh, I would post uh, articles about internet stuff, uh, reviews of software, um, and I had a, a quick news section that was basically a reverse chronological order of updates I had posted to the site. And um, so it was more or less a blog years before anyone knew what blogs were or the term had really been invented. Um, so that's what I was doing, and it really got me hooked. It, it got me totally, totally hooked on publishing content online in incremental bits and uh, having a constant stream of updates. Uh, I've never been able to, to shake that impulse to post things online and write articles and have a blog. So uh, pretty much, with a few exceptions, maybe a year or two here or there, um, I've had a blog in one form or another since 1996, you can believe it. Uh, So that was my first experience of the web. Uh, I could go on into 1997 and 1998. Uh, I did a lot of writing for a bunch of other publications. Um, I decided to go full-time into web development because uh, essentially a friend of mine who had a company came along and said, I like your band website. I really like that. Can you build one for me? How much do you charge, by the way? And I said, hmm, let me get back to you on that. (laughs) So that's how I became a web developer by trade. That's my career now. And so uh, I can, you know, trace back uh, in many ways what I do now all the way back to that first experience of getting online and using the web. 
uh, it just absolutely mesmerized me that anyone, anyone could get on the web, make a website, express themselves, meet people from all over the world. And, uh, and I still toot that horn today. I believe more people should create websites for themselves. I don't think we should be reliant on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram for our online presence. I believe that anyone who likes to express themselves, who likes to write, who likes to take photos, who likes to make movies, who likes to do carpentry, uh, anyone who likes to do things, create things, and express themselves and would like to share that with others, I believe everyone should have a website for themselves at their own domain name, uh, so that's a crusade I'm on, um, but uh, it's all because of what happened back in the early 90s for me. So that's my story. What's yours? Again, just send me an email at jared at jaredwhite.com, and I will post your story on the next segment of Share and Tell. Continuing on our historical theme today about the early days of the internet and the web, uh, there's an article by Amy Hoy called How the Blog Broke the Web, and uh, she had an interesting point to make. Um, Longtime user of the web, of course, herself, and she's very well known for publishing about uh, how to start businesses online, how to produce software, how to design things, how to help users. Um, So her perspective is definitely worthy of consideration and respect. Um, I didn't necessarily agree with her conclusion, but I did respect her position. And it was essentially the idea that um, in the early days of the web, websites were were all kinds of manners of interesting and fantastical. And uh, a lot of the navigation schemes were essentially, uh, you know, sort of a network of pages centered around a main table of contents. So you'd go to a site and it'd kind of be like, you know, here's the website and here's all things you could do on it. And you could click on various you know, links, buttons, images, and go to different places. And um, it was very creative, you know, very dynamic. Um, And then over time, as uh, blogging software came out, and it became very easy to just start a new blog and write an article and hit publish. Um, Essentially, website design, in many respects, collapsed into just the blog format. The blog format became supreme. You know, everyone's website was basically just a blog. Uh, And that sort of paved the way for the next step, which was that, you know, this stream of posts that you'd write and hit publish for would just be done on some other platform like Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Um, And now we're all trained to just have these streams of content that can be, you know, entirely siloed in proprietary commercial platforms. And, you know, the concept of having a blog now has become passe. A lot of people don't even think you should have a blog or don't understand why people would still be into blogging. Um, And so Amy's contention here is that ultimately the blog ate itself, ate the web, and uh, paved the way to just get everyone siloed into proprietary content platforms. Um, Now, I don't really agree with that contention because, first of all, I believe that the blog format has always been around. Uh, Like I said earlier in this show, I had a blog basically back in 1996. You know, it was a site where I published new articles regularly and I had a list of here's what's new. And it was literally like, you know, newer date, newer date, newer date uh, with the newest dates at the top. Um, and I, th- I think a lot of news sites, a lot of, uh, you know, s- sites where people were publishing things on a regular basis on some kind of editorial schedule, I think a lot of sites were structured like that. Um, so in my opinion, 
Uh, what broke the web, as it were, was not blogs per se, it was just sheer laziness. If you look back at the mid-2000s, or early to mid-2000s, uh, the web essentially went stagnant. Uh, the dot-com era had, had come and gone, and you know, a lot of hot internet companies had totally busted. So there was a bit of a malaise around the internet in general in the early 2000s. Um, Internet Explorer had been iterated all the way up to version 6, and then Microsoft just didn't do anything. They, they literally did not do anything for years, years and years. Microsoft did not come out with an updated browser. Nobody else had a browser that had any sort of market share compared to Internet Explorer. Um, you know, Firefox was just starting to come out in the early 2000s as an open source contender, um, but it took you know, years for that browser to really take off. The early to mid-2000s, I think, started a period all the way up until around the end of the 2000s when the smartphone hit. You know, Apple came out with the iPhone, Android phones followed, and all of a sudden, everyone was into mobile. Mobile, mobile, mobile. Everyone needed a mobile website. Everyone needed to either convert their website to be mobile-friendly or start separate mobile sites. Uh, we won't get into that debate, but at any rate... Um, I, I believe that uh, the smartphone and mobile sites, uh, tablets, touchscreens, uh, you know, this whole new class of devices really injected new life into the web in terms of, you know, design, uh, design approaches, uh, thinking around interaction on the web, you know, how do you uh, present navigation, uh, how do you structure things, uh, you know, how do you use different dynamic elements on the web, you know, web standards, bodies kind of got reinvigorated. Uh, we, we got a, you know, a, series, a progressive series of enhancements to HTML and CSS, uh, culminating in, you know, this whole new HTML5 standard and CSS3, and there's ongoing development there now, of course. Um, so, you know, I don't think blogs broke the web. I think just sheer laziness broke the web. Um, you know, Microsoft bears some blame here. The W3C standards body bears some blame because... You know, they really did not do much throughout the 2000s to help innovate and move the web forward. Um, you know, it really took a new class of device and kind of new thinking around how to develop web standards and how to incorporate things people want out of the web into new development in web browsers. Uh, you know, we need the WebKit open source browser engine that Apple helped pioneer. Of course, that was originally based on KHTML. Uh, we need Firefox to become Ascendant. We need Google Chrome to come out. Uh, we needed Microsoft to finally come around and start working on a browser that it gets updated regularly and is essentially evergreen, so you always have the latest version. Um, so, you know, we needed a whole bunch of new building blocks and best practices in place for the web to keep the web healthy and moving forward. And that just was not there in the early 2000s, the early to mid-2000s. It just wasn't there. So platforms that came along, like MySpace, and then Facebook and Twitter, you know, they, they essentially took advantage of a void. There was a void of innovation and faith that the web was awesome and innovative and moving forward. And they took advantage of that void and built some easy-to-use tools and some, you know, cool social connection abilities that you couldn't get just with the standard web. Um, and they, you know, they basically filled a void for people and provided these new tools and these new abilities for people. And that's why it took off when it took off, you know. Today, today, right now, you could not launch a new Facebook. You could not launch, I don't believe you can launch a new Twitter right now. Uh, it's a very different landscape. Not necessarily because those services 
are reigning supreme, but because that's just not, there's, there's no void for that anymore. However, I want to be clear about this. This does not mean that I don't believe in federated social networks, open source social networks. Uh, I absolutely believe in that. I believe in, in software like Mastodon, in, uh, you know, in protocols like ActivityPub, but, uh, but it's, it's going to develop very differently. You know, we're at the point now where people are building new building blocks into the very fabric of the web that frankly should have been there decades ago. A payment layer, a social networking layer, ability to, uh, to have comments and discussion get sent back and forth directly between websites. Um, there's a whole bunch of development going on now on the web that's building technology into the very foundational fabric layers of the web that should have been there ages ago. So, no, I don't think the blog broke the web. I think laziness broke the web. But thankfully, a lot of people are coming out of that malaise and are excited about the web and are innovating and pushing it forward. And I celebrate those efforts. I'm actually pretty embarrassed about this. In the very first episode of the show, episode one, I recommended a browser extension for Chrome or Firefox called Stylish that would let you uh, install custom style sheets that would essentially transform popular sites like Wikipedia or YouTube or Facebook, um, you know, to to sort of, you know, make make the design look better or make it look wacky or, you know, all kinds of weird colors or fonts or whatever you want to do. It would just essentially, you know, allow you to download customizations for the design of popular websites. Turns out the stylish browser extension for a little while now has been spyware. It is spyware. It essentially takes all of your browsing history. You know, every time you visit a new website, essentially... Uh, uploads all that information to the stylish servers somewhere and god only knows what happens to that data i mean who knows they may be profiling you for advertising purposes or just selling data to third parties to try to get a profit out of it i don't know but um but it has everyone kind of freaked out so and there's an alternative extension called stylus that does not have any of the spyware. However, I feel like at this point, it's a little bit concerning that you can install a browser extension and just have no idea if browser history is being sent off to some unknown third-party set of servers somewhere. Um, so, you know, this is a problem in general with browser extensions and how those work. Um, but if you're feeling adventurous, um, Stylus at, at this point has been vetted so if you'd like to customize websites like Wikipedia and so forth um, and keep using something that's similar to Stylish, uh, you can install Stylus instead. And last but not least, in today's image segment, there's a link in the show notes to NASA photos of Jupiter, along with user-contributed artwork and enhanced images. Um, if you haven't been aware, uh, Juno has been a spacecraft that's been uh, orbiting Jupiter for a few years now. Uh, and we're just getting an incredible wealth of imagery of Jupiter, uh, and people are doing all kinds of creative things to enhance those images and to play around with colors and do all kinds of neat things. And so uh, if you go to this NASA website um, and and browse through the gallery, it's just stunning. It's just, I mean, wow. I mean, I remember seeing a photo of Jupiter when I was a kid, and, you know, even with the sort of fuzzy, grainy quality, and you couldn't make too much out of, of Jupiter at that time when I was a kid. Um, I was just absolutely blown away by the majesty and the, and the power and the magnificence of our largest planet in the solar system. 
Uh, and to get the kind of images we're getting now, you know, close up, high resolution, detailed images of the atmosphere and all the storms and everything and seeing the, the Van Gogh-esque uh, cloud formations across the planet's atmosphere. Uh, just stunning. I actually have a, a Jupiter uh, wallpaper for my iPhone right now. That's how much I'm excited about this. Uh, so check it out. If you're into astronomy, the solar system, other planets, uh, you will love this gallery of images from NASA of Jupiter. And that's it for today, folks. It's a wrap. Episode 6 of The Jared White Show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate your support. Uh, Again, please subscribe to my newsletter at jaredwhite.com where you can get uh, weekly updates about uh, new podcast episodes as well as other articles and things I'm publishing on the website. Uh, And of course, you can subscribe in your own podcast player of choice. So thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time. Bye. Jared White Show.